So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. I know it's going to be up on the screen, but some are old school and you like to look at your own Bible. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. Follow along. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You see, Come, follow me. Those may be the most powerful words in all of the spoken language. You hear and you respond to these words, and I tell you, your life will never be the same. They will change who you are. They will change the life that you have known and change how you literally look at the world. You know, they'll even change how you see the people that are there in your life. Please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day, for the breath of life, for the opportunity to gather together as a community of faith to be able to speak of you and and share your love. Lord God, I believe that when we come with an open heart, hungry to hear from you, we will hear from you. And Lord, though I have prepared words and have them here in front of me, I yield to your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you and you alone. For Jesus, you are our rock, you are our strength, and you are our redeemer. And everyone would say, amen. So when these words were spoken, when Jesus declared this, come, follow me, Those men who heard those words, they had really been minding their own business. They were going about their work. They probably were really keeping to themselves, focused on the task at hand. You know, they were just ordinary people like you and me. They had jobs. They had families. They probably had hobbies. And I'm sure they had friends. And I imagine that when they woke up on that morning, that particular morning, they expected it would be just like any other day. Get dressed, eat a little something, kiss the family, and head off to the boats, head off to work, labor until you can't do any more, until you're tired to the bone, go home, get washed, eat, spend a little time with the family and friends, and go to sleep just so that you could do it all over again. And I think that as they went about their business that day, none of them knew that their life was going to change forever. Those words spoken by Jesus that day, come, follow me. Right then, 
they made a decision. Scripture says immediately, in that instant, they made a decision. And I wonder if these fishermen could have, in their wildest imagination, understood what they were getting into when they dropped everything to follow that young rabbi from Nazareth. The reality was, whatever ideas, hopes, expectations, or even fears they had in their minds as they looked and as they took those first steps to follow Jesus, never could have come close to what they were about to experience. Amen? I thought you all said amen. You all left me hanging there. Come on. Even you, Les. <laughs> I don't believe that there was anything in their life that could have prepared them for what it was going to be like when they chose to answer that call, come. Everything about Jesus, his teaching, his, his compassion, his wisdom, his power, his authority was unlike anything that they had ever seen or experienced. You see, in just three short years, they went from just average working class fishermen to standing before some of the most powerful people in the known world. What started as just a simple invitation and a response ended up not only changing their lives, but literally changing the world. Now here's the first thing we learn from Jesus' invitation. You can't follow Jesus and stay where you are. Thank you. Thank you for those two people that said amen. You can't follow Jesus and stay where you are. Jesus didn't just say, follow me. He said, come, follow me. And in those words, in that word, come, Jesus makes it clear that you can stay where you are and follow him. If you're going to follow Jesus, you got to go. You can't keep thinking the same things. You can't keep doing the same things. You can't keep living the same life and follow Jesus. You've got to get up. Listen, you've got to go where Jesus is going. you get got to got to get on the same path that Jesus is on, and you got to live the life that Jesus is living. And I want to tell you something, church. Jesus isn't just someone you add into your life. To follow him, Jesus must become your life. I knew you could do it. See there? See, disciples in Jesus' day, they would choose a rabbi and then they would follow that rabbi. And they would seek to learn what the rabbi knew. They would try to live as he did and try to become as much like him as they could. They would go wherever the rabbi would go and they would do whatever the rabbi did, all as a part of their training to become like that rabbi. See, a disciple follows right next to the teacher rather than at a passive distance because there's power in proximity. There's power when we're close together. 
You know, there was a time not so long ago, and some may remember this, when a person wanted to learn a skill or a trade, they would become an apprentice to a master, committing a set amount of time to really learn and study from the master. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and maybe in some ways we do have a parallel to that, and that's, believe it or not, something like YouTube. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, I don't know about you all, but if there's something that I don't know something about and I want to learn how to do something, like I took my car to get maintenance, oil changed, and of course they come back and they go, did you know your air filter and your cabin filter need to be changed and it's going to cost this and this? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, I know I can go to the parts store and get the filter for one-third the amount. I just go on YouTube and see how to do it. So in some way, we can learn from others, but there used to be a time when you would literally connect with somebody, and you would would commit that for three years or five years, I'm going to, like, be with you, and I'm going to learn what you know. But see, unlike apprenticeship that would last for a few years, becoming a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong process. It's not just a couple years and you're done. It's like once you follow, once he says come and you answer, well, you're with him for the rest of your life. And did you know that there's no age limit on discipleship? Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, a disciple is a disciple is a disciple. When Jesus called those disciples, they may not have known where he would take them or the impact that he would have on their lives. But in that split moment of decision, the scripture says that they left everything behind. Everything they had, everything they owned, everyone they knew. They went everywhere he went. They did everything he did. And it began day by day, to literally change and transform who they were at the deepest part of their being. Because you can't follow Jesus. You can't follow someone like that and live like that and live with them and spend every part of a day, every moment of three years, and not have it impact you. See, you can't walk with Jesus and remain the same. Slowly but surely, they began to think like him and act like him. And you know what? This was Jesus' intent from the very beginning. Matthew 10, verse 24, Jesus said this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. You see, Jesus' goal was to make the disciples just like him. Can I tell you, that's what his goal is for each one of us? To make us like him. Now at some point, along the way, things began to change. Now if we're being honest, many people have really turned off course in what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. 
They've turned away from what it means to be a disciple in the most basic understanding of that word because they don't follow or live like Jesus. Not really. Not when we look at their lives compared to that of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we in any way can be him, but we certainly can follow and seek to be like him. We look at people, and though they profess to believe and claim to follow, at best, maybe we see a faint glimmer of Jesus. And in some cases, brothers and sisters, there's no resemblance at all. Now listen to me. Every disciple is a Christian. But not every Christian is a disciple. So let's just spend a little bit of time and talk about what are the characteristics of a disciple. Well, a disciple is a student, but way more than just a student. Because being a student in many ways is really kind of passive learning. It's you sit and you're lectured to. Someone talks and you listen. And really, there's this hope that somewhere along the way, something sticks, right? Rather than students, we are called to be apprentices. And there's a difference between being a student and apprentice. A student wants to learn what the teacher knows, yes, but the student doesn't have to like or respect the teacher. They just want to get what they can get from that teacher. Whereas a disciple, they want to be like the teacher. They want to get everything they can from that teacher. To do that, there has to be closeness. There has to be personal interaction and affinity. An apprentice does more than learn by hearing what the master is saying, but they do what the master is doing. This is what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Now, let me clarify something. This is not proof that we should wash feet. Hello? What Jesus is talking about is not just the act. He's talking about, look, I'm showing you something that I'm doing. And by the way, we probably know that washing feet in those days was like the greatest example of humility because people's feet were nasty then. I mean, they walked around in sandals. There were no paved roads or, I mean, they were just like dirty and nasty. And for Jesus to wash the feet in front of his disciples was, yeah, an act of humility, but it was an example to them. Look, you want to be like me, you have to be willing to do the things I do. Someone said, amen. That was a perfect place for amen, by the way. I have it written in, and the congregation said, amen. 
To be an apprentice, to be a disciple, it's not a short-term learning experience. It's not one and done, but it's a lifelong endeavor of seeking and growing in thought and word and deed until we become like him. Second, a disciple places Jesus above everything else. In Luke 14, Jesus laid out his requirements for discipleship. The first being a disciple must love Jesus more than anything else. Listen to this, Luke 14, 26. Hard scripture to understand. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus, what are you saying? What do you mean we're supposed to hate our mother and father and our children and what? But listen, Jesus is using a teaching method that even the rabbis of the day would use. It's sharp contrast. It's saying something that's so opposed to one another. And essentially, Jesus is saying that your love for God must be so strong, it must be so intense that all other loves would fail in comparison. Another way we could say it would be, if you really want to be my disciple and live that Christian life to its fullest, you must love me more than anyone or anything else. That's what Jesus is saying. More than your career, more than your possessions, more than your family, your friends, more than anything else in your life. In other words, to be a disciple of Jesus, he must be always first in your life. Everything else has to be a distant second. I've always felt that the best way to think about this is our priorities have to be My relationship with Jesus, number one. Because if that's not right, everything else is a mess. Second, my relationship with my family. Hello? And lastly, everything else. Doesn't matter what you do. Jesus, family, everything else. Third, a disciple is one who follows, not leads. The thought of not being in control or having someone else controlling us runs against how so many of us feel. Right? Many of us, if we're honest, we don't want to give up control of the wheel. We want to hold on. But Jesus was exactly the opposite. Rather than controlling his life or his destiny, Jesus chose to surrender everything to the will of his Father. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 2 verse 8, speaking of Jesus, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And Jesus would even go on to say, I do nothing on my own. We hear it over and over. He talks about hearing from the Father. In other words, Jesus would say, if my father doesn't tell me to do it, I don't do it. I only do what he tells me to do. And he calls us, he calls those who choose to follow him to do the same. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 24. 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Even our own life must come second when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. It's giving up control. It's handling it over to Christ. It's allowing God to guide your life. It's recognizing that, like Jesus, you cannot do it on your own. And can I say to you, church, that if it was good enough for him, it's got to be good enough for us. Hello? We can't make it without his constant guidance and and protection. The problem is, many in the church, they want to confess that Jesus is Lord, yet they don't want him to be master. And to be a disciple, Jesus must be Lord. And if he is Lord, then he sets the agenda. If Jesus is Lord, then you and I belong to him. Your life belongs to him. And you know what? That's a pretty cool thing. Because he has a plan. He has direction. He has an agenda that's unique and specific for you. You don't get to tell him what you'll be doing today. You don't get to tell him what you'll be doing for the rest of your life. Not if you're his disciple. Not if you follow him. So what is a disciple? Here you go. A disciple makes disciples. Say amen. From the beginning of the foundation of being a disciple, Jesus' plan has always been to make disciples who make disciples. Hello? In his first words to the disciples, Matthew 4, 19, what did Jesus say? He said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. It's up there. Fishers of men. Now listen, I want you to notice something that Jesus here said. Fishers of men, not aquarium keepers. Now think about that. Right? What is an aquarium keeper? They're more concerned about the fish getting along inside the aquarium. They're concerned about keeping it all clean They're concerned about making sure that the fish coming through the door will get along with the fish already in. But that's not what we're called to be. So it's time, church, that we stop being aquarium keepers and start being what Jesus asks us to be, and that's fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of children. Amen? Jesus emphasized this priority in probably the best, some of the best known, last recorded words of his found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. This is known as the Great Commission. But listen what he says. What's the first thing? Go therefore and what? Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it's make disciples and teach them to be like Jesus. Amen? Come on now. This is exciting. And then he adds, and behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. So in other words, he's calling us to be disciple makers and he's saying, listen, I'm with you as you do it. 
From the start, God's design has been for every one of us, every single disciple of Jesus, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until Jesus comes back. That's what we've been called to do. Jesus invites you and I to be part of this great plan of salvation, this great expansion of his kingdom. And he wants all of us to experience his joy, to experience his love as we spread him. Amen? Now let me tell you a little secret. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know a whole bunch of scripture. You just have to know him. And then we just live our life like him. Listen, I want to take just a second here and share with you that I wasn't born into Christianity. That's not, in fact, my family, my heritage is Jewish. That's what I grew up as. And it was somebody who not shared a Bible or shared a verse, but lived Jesus in front of me that provoked me to go, wait a minute, what is this? It was how he acted, not the fact that he was a Bible scholar, not the fact that he could preach or share scripture. He never shared scripture with me. He just acted in a way that I'd never seen before. And that was like Jesus, amen? The body of Christ should be known for making disciples, just like Tabasco is known for hot sauce, amen? Come on. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we should be making disciples. We are called to bear fruit. What's the fruit? Jesus said in Matthew 13, 23, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in a number 30. I want to be in that list because that means that these are people that are discipling, that are bearing fruit because that's the fruit. The fruit is the lives that you have touched and the people that follow Jesus because you follow Jesus. Come on. A disciple by nature, by definition, is simply this, a multiplier. They multiply themselves. It's about bringing people to Christ and making disciples who make disciples. Now as I wrap up, if you're not If you struggle with this, I believe it comes down to just three things. Three simple things. First, it's recognition that eternity is on the line for everybody. Right? Jesus said, those who believe in him will have eternal life. So, reasonably, the inverse holds true. Those who don't believe in him will not. Can I get an amen? Second is being filled with the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit. See, there's a difference between the disciples hiding behind locked doors and stepping out into the streets of Jerusalem and preaching literally at the top of their lungs, throwing caution to the wind. Third, Matthew 22, beginning at verse 37, Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The love for God is the first, but it's made practical in the love for our neighbors. 
John actually told us that if we don't love the people that we see around us, then how can we say we love God who we can't see? True love is all about sacrifice for the sake of the people that you love. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. See, when we understand love in this light, that Jesus' love goes beyond and, and if we're going to be disciples and we're going to show Jesus in the world, then the first and mo- most important part of that is just as Jesus loved, no matter what someone did or what they looked like or who they were or where they hung out, we are to love in the same way. Because that's what brings people to Christ. Not our words, not in today's economy. What we say doesn't have much bearing. What we do and how we act does. What might it look like for you, for us, to reach out to someone? To say, come follow me as I follow Jesus. Can you begin to imagine the blessing that you might be to other people? Do you hear that? I don't know if you can hear it, but I hear this this voice. If you listen closely, Jesus is calling you. He's calling me. And he's saying, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women and children. Amen? Amen. Amen.